in a moment, we're going to jump into John chapter 6. But first, I, I want to show you a couple images. Uh, here is one image. It is in an art gallery, and you have some students probably on a field trip or something like that. This is a Rembrandt. Now, you private school kids, you probably knew that, but us public school kids, we need help, right? And, and so we're, this is a Rembrandt. Now, I, I'm not going to criticize these kids. You know, that's the typical thing. Scold the younger generation because they're looking at their phones. Because the truth is, I probably would be looking at my phone too if, if I were in that same situation. But nonetheless, they're very distracted from this famous uh, painting by this famous artist. Now, none of this probably would have captured my attention uh, if it hadn't been for the next photo because this too is, takes place in an art gallery and this painting is also a Rembrandt. But instead of a student, we have a, a, a person who is dying of a terminal illness. And because of a partnership between a hospital and an art gallery, this person had the opportunity to uh, uh, go and see art for a last time before they die. So this is a person who's come here to see this painting to give hope, maybe a hope that transcends their circumstances. So the same artist, right? You got that in both places, both Rembrandts. One group of kids is distracted. The other is there looking for hope in their dying moments. Now, if you're looking for hope in the middle of, of, of your darkest time, if you're looking for hope in the middle of the storms that life has brought to you, I've got something better to offer than a Rembrandt. If you're looking for hope, you'll never find more hope that is in Jesus. In the, in the 17th century, the English pastor named Samuel Rutherford wrote this about Jesus. He said, put the beauty of 10,000 worlds of paradises like the Garden of Eden in one. Now, here's what he's saying. If you had 10,000 Garden of Edens and wrapped it all into one, you know, before sin had entered the world, the Garden of Eden was a perfect place. So if you took it, uh, all the trees, all the flowers, all the smells, colors, taste, joy, sweetness, all the loveliness, and put it all into one, oh, it'd be a fair and excellent thing. And yet, and yet it would be less to that fair and dearest, well-beloved Christ than one drop of rain to the whole seas, rivers, lakes, and fountains of 10,000 earths. So, so let me translate 17th century language into the way you and I talk. If you took, you know what he's saying? If you took all the pleasures that this life has to offer, the best of family, the best of career, the best of recreation, all the best music, all the best art, sports, food, technology, entertainment. If you took it all and you put it into, into one object, it would be a fantastic thing. It would be wonderful. It would be beautiful. And yet, and yet it would pale in comparison to the beauty and the truth and the hope and the glory that is in Jesus. He's saying that the, the joy that you have in Jesus is, is, is better than, than the joys of 10,000 worlds combined. But I wonder, in the presence of Jesus, if we're not distracted. I, I wonder if in the presence of truth and, and joy and peace, we're not looking at our phone. 
Maybe it's not literally our phone like those students were. I mean, it could be, but maybe it's just something else that has pulled us away from Jesus. And so that's why in August, when we started this new sermon series, I, I said to you, I said, we are going to fixate on Jesus all fall. That, that's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to take our eyes and our heart and our soul and our mind and our body, and, and we are going to go after Jesus on Sunday mornings together. We're going to obey these two commands in the book of Hebrews to fix your thoughts and fix your eyes on him because, because we think that some of the anxiety that we're all feeling, people are restless, they're anxious, they're, they're a little bit afraid. Some of the cynicism and suspicion, some of the angst and the anger that we find in our heart and in our world is because we've taken our eyes off of them. And that has left us unsettled. It has left us uneasy in our soul and unnerved when we have to face challenges that are beyond our control. And so the message to, to, from, from God to you and God to me, from the Bible right to our heart and mind, is this. Don't get diverted from the king. Don't let something distract you from King Jesus. Don't get duped into following someone or something else. No matter how loud they yell, no matter what lies they tell, you will not find someone better than Jesus. And that takes us back to John 6, where we were last week at the feeding of the 5,000. The very next story. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. So this lake is called the Sea of Galilee. And it's not as big as it sounds. Like, for example, it's not as big as our Great Lakes. It's relatively small, but it is the lowest freshwater lake in the world, meaning it is below sea level. And it is uh, surrounded by mountains, surrounded by mountains. And so what happens is that there are violent storms on the Sea of Galilee because cold air uh, comes over the mountains and hits the moist, warm air coming up off the water. So violent storms, unpredictable storms are pretty common. And we're told here it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. See, we can tell by these, by these uh, 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 clues that, that, that John is saying things are not going to go well for the disciples. If this were a horror movie, you would hear the scary music starting to build in the background. Things are not going to go well. And what happens is one of those violent, unpredictable storms, it hits. So next verse, verse 18. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. So right now you should hear the, the theme song of Gilligan's Island playing in the back of your mind, right? The tiny ship was tossed. If it wasn't for the courage of the fearless crew, the minnow would be lost. That's what's happening here. The, the, uh, the, the, the disciples are in a boat and they're rowing and they really don't have very far to go. But the storm has blown them out to sea. So they've been rowing for about nine hours, but have only gone three or four miles. So now it's in the middle of the night. It's like three, four, five o'clock in the morning, and they are exhausted. Verse 19. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. And they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I. Don't, don't be afraid. So the disciples are caught up in one of these unpredictable, violent storms, and, and, and they're scared. And, and fear is a very natural human emotion. And oftentimes, 
uh, fear is very helpful human emotion because it warns us of threats and helps us avoid uh, uh, you know, a, a threat in our environment. But because fear is so powerful, it can also do a lot of damage because it can lead us down a track that is bad for us. Fear of missing out, you know, missing out of this group, missing out of this party, missing out of this social event, missing out of this invite, fear of missing out of an experience. It can cause us to be bitter against other people. It can cause people to be, us to be jealous of them. Fear of not having enough can cause us to be tight-fisted or cause us to hoard. Fear of not being enough, I'm not good enough, can lead to insecurity. Fear of being rejected by others can cause us to make moral compromise in order to gain their acceptance or their approval. Fear of uh, the future can cause us to be anxious and try to control people or control circumstances in our life. So here's the storm that has come up on the disciples. We have those kind of storms that come up on us. They are confused and unsettled, and it's just how we are. It's how we are in our storms. I'm sure you remember a few years ago when, when there was a tragic helicopter crash that took Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and several of their friends. And at the time, people were unsure exactly what happened that led to this crash. It happened out in Los Angeles, and there's a guy out there named Randy Waldman who had been a flight instructor for helicopters for, for decades. He, he was extremely experienced. And so he was able to see you know, how fast they were going and the direction and, and kind of put it together quicker than, than most people. And what he attributed it to was the fog, specifically the fog, he said, that, that caused the operator of the helicopter, at least in his estimation, to get disoriented. And he said this, he said this, it stuck in my mind. He said, once you get disoriented, your body senses completely tell you the wrong thing. Now, now that's scary. You're in a storm and all of a sudden, everything you've relied on to tell you what is right and wrong, what the right way to go, the wrong way to go, everything you've depended on to make sense out of your world is now telling you the wrong thing. You have no idea which way is up or which way is down. I mean, that sounds like storms we're in, right? You can't see clearly. You can't think clearly. You don't know who to trust, who to turn to. And, and some of us, we just get paralyzed in those situations. We can't do anything. And what makes it so much harder is that the storms are unpredictable. You don't know when they're coming. Like if you knew next month you're going to have a storm or next year you're going to have a storm. Well, okay, I can get prepared for that. When is it? I can put that on my calendar. I can, you know, get myself ready emotionally, spiritually, physically ready. But that's not how the way the world works. I mean, if the disciples had known that a storm was going to come on the lake that night, they wouldn't have gotten in the boat and went out there in the first place. Proverbs 27, verse 1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you don't know what a day may bring. I mean, don't be overconfident about tomorrow, because the reality is that you may think you know what is coming. You may have something written down on your calendar of what's coming. You may have your plan about what's coming. But as much as we don't want to admit it, none of us really knows what's happening tomorrow like we act like we do. We crave predictability, and that is the thing we do not have. There's nothing that's predictable. The weather's not predictable. Problems are unexpected. The future's unknown. And because all that's true, we have high levels of stress and anxiety and, and fear. 
And so in the middle of that, Jesus comes and he offers what everyone needs, what we all long for, but that which is so um, elusive, Jesus comes and he offers peace. Not to solve all the problems, Jesus comes and he offers peace. He says in, in verse 20, let's go back and look at it. He said, it is I, don't be afraid. But to understand exactly all that Jesus means here, to understand the, the importance and the feel, the weight of it, you have to understand what he does not say. What he does not say. Let's start with that. So Brene Brown, she says that a lot of us make mistakes in how we give advice or encouragement to friends who are going through a storm. So somebody comes and they share a storm with us and, and our reaction is like, I'm in the middle of this problem. And our reaction is to go, well, let, let's find some silver lining in those clouds. Yeah, it's raining, it's pouring, it's hailing on you. But I bet you there's a silver lining if we look close enough. And we think we're helping. Well-intentioned, well-meaning people look for silver linings. And she said that you can kind of know you're going down the wrong road when somebody shares their storm with you and your reaction is to start by saying, well, at least I just had a miscarriage. Maybe somebody that shares that with you. And you say, well, at least you know you can get pregnant. My marriage is falling apart. At least you're married. My son just got suspended from school. At least your daughter's a good student. See, you hear what all those things do? Is they minimize, they minimize the storm. What they are telling you is, it's not that bad. What they are telling you is, don't be so much drama. What they're telling you is, don't make such a big deal out of this. But, but, but that's exactly what Jesus doesn't do. Jesus does not come to them and say, quit making a big deal out of this. Quit being so, so much drama. He doesn't come and minimize or try to find a silver lining. Instead, he comes to them in the middle of their storm. And he comes to you in the middle of your storm. And he says this to you this morning. He said, I know, I know it's bad. I know it's bad and I know you're scared. But I also want you to know that you're not alone. I'm with you in the storm. I'm with you. That little word has so much power. That little word with, it, it has so much power to change how you think, to change how you live, to change everything. There's so much power in this little preposition. People have built their life on it. You can cling to that word in the middle of your storm. People have been clinging to it for centuries. Moses is a shepherd and he gets this call to go and stand before Pharaoh, the king of the known world, at least Moses' known world at the time, and to say that he's going to take the Israelites out of Egypt. He's going to take their economic generator, because they're slaves in Egypt, and he's going to take them out of Egypt. And... and, and He's looking at himself and going, how am I going to be able to do this, God? So he says this to God. When God tells him what to do, he goes, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? I think God says, oh, Moses, you're pretty sharp. Moses, don't sell yourself short. Moses, you got talent. Uh -uh. He almost says like, Moses, you're right. Who are you? What was I thinking? But he didn't say that either. Instead, he says this. 
He says, I will be with you. Yeah, Moses, you're not a great communicator. You're not a strategic planner. Yes, you're, you're, you're not really intimidating. You're not up for the job, but guess what? I am, and I am with you. And then years later, down the road, when Moses hands this group of people, the Israelites, a rebellious group of people, off to Joshua and says, Joshua, you've got to lead them into the promised land against all these intimidating enemies. Joshua is scared to death. And here's what Deuteronomy 31, 8 says. The Lord himself goes before you and he will be with you and he will never leave you or forsake you. So do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. What drives out fear and discouragement from your life is to know that God has gone before you. He went before you into that meeting. He went before you into court. He went before you into that marriage. He went before you into that hospital room. God went before you and now he is with you. One of the the, the most cherished, uh, beloved chapters in the Bible is Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I, I won't be afraid, I won't fear evil, because you're with me. So, so what is the darkest valley that you've ever been in? I want you to picture yourself. Maybe it's happening today. Maybe it happened last month or five years ago. Well, picture yourself in the darkest valley. Or, or picture yourself. Will you, will you picture those in your family or friend group who've been in a dark valley? I want you to, I want you to see in your mind them in that, in that storm. And when you are picturing yourself, your friends, your family in that darkest valley, do you see that God is with you? Is he in your mind's eye? Or have you seen yourself? in the middle of a storm alone, because it is not true. That is a lie, because God has promised that he'll be with you in the darkest valley, whether that's in your past or in your future. Isaiah 41.10, God says this, Do not fear, for I am with you. And do not be dismayed, for I am your God. And I will strengthen you and help you and uphold you with my righteous right hand. See, God drives out fear by the power of with. But, but it's not just with. There's another little word, and that is who. God is with you, but, but who is it? When Jesus comes to him, so John 6, 20. When, when, when Jesus comes, they'd rode about three or four miles. They saw Jesus approaching. He walks on the water, and they're scared. And he says, it is I, don't be afraid. So, so when he says, it is I, what Jesus is alluding to is that he is the I am. He is the I am. That's why they shouldn't be afraid. Think about this. Why does Jesus walk on the water? To get out to the boat. I mean, he could have gotten out to that boat so many other ways, right? He could have just gotten in the boat to begin with. He could have uh, just showed up in the boat. He's God. He can do that. He could have rowed in another boat out to them and then gotten in their boat. Why does he walk on the water? Well, think with me for a moment. What are the disciples scared of? Well, they're scared of the water, right? I mean, just play it out. They're scared of the water in the storm that it might capsize their boat and they might drown. 
So what Jesus does is he says, oh, this water, this thing that you're scared of, watch this. And he walks on it. He says, look, the very thing that you're scared of, I am in control of. You're scared of these raging waves? Well, the wind and the waves, they obey Jesus. They obey Jesus. So everything that you're scared of, everything that you're worried about, everything that causes fear to rise up in your heart, God is in control of. You're, you're scared of the unknown, the unknown of the future. Psalm 31, 15. But I am trusting you, O Lord, saying you are my God. My future is in your hands. Your future is in God's hands. The one who declared the end from the beginning, the one in, who knows everything about your life. You're surprised. You didn't see the storm coming. It was unpredictable to you, but not to God. He knew you would be in this place and he is with you in it. There is no unknown to God. Maybe you're afraid of other people and what they can do to you. Psalm 118, the Lord is with me, so I will have no fear. What can people do to me? I mean, they're just mere people. What can they possibly do to me when God is with me? I'm not defined by their approval or disapproval. What about happiness? We, we're afraid that we won't have the life we want. We won't be happy. And so God says, just like I walked in that water, I walk on your happiness. I'm in control of it. Psalm 34.10. The lions grow, may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. You can have confidence that, that everything in your life is brought to you by the hand of a loving Father who has promised you that there's no good thing that would be good for you, no thing would be good for you that you'll lack. Maybe you're afraid that you're going to make a bad decision and, and screw your life up. Maybe you have a big choice sitting in front of you. Just as we sit here today, somebody here has a choice that they've got to make, and they're not sure what to do. Psalm 32, 8. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. God in his wisdom walks on. He is in control of your future. And in his power, he walks on death. You're afraid of dying? Saw so, uh, Romans 14. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Jesus walked on that water, not because he was trying to entertain them or, or put on a show. Jesus walked on the water to show them that everything they're afraid of, he was in control of. The God, the God who spoke the world into existence, the God who created a planet that was inhabitable, a God who set the sun and moon in place and called the stars by name, the God who uh, delivered Israel out of the control of Pharaoh, delivered them out of Egypt, the God who split the sea and tumbled the walls of Jericho, the God who saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace and Daniel from the lion's den, the God who indwelt the womb of a virgin, who walked on water, who fed the 5,000, who healed the blind and the lame, who raised Lazarus from the dead, the God who himself was raised from the dead. He is the one, the true God, the only God that sits on his throne. And he says to you, the I am is with you. 
Do not be afraid. Corrie Ten Boom is a woman who grew up in Germany during World War II. She and her family, at great risk to themselves, they hid Jews from the Nazis. Eventually they were caught and they were sent to the concentration camps. Corrie, not all her family made it out, but Corrie did. Years later, reflecting back on how she handles the, the things that cause her fear and anxiety, she said this, When I worry, I go to the mirror and say to myself, this tremendous thing which is worrying me is beyond a solution. It's especially too hard for Jesus Christ to handle. After I've said that, I smile and I'm ashamed. Right? Maybe you need to go to the mirror and say to yourself, this cancer is too hard for Jesus. This conflict with my spouse or with a friend or the coworker, it is too hard for Jesus. Maybe you need to go to the mirror and, and tell Jesus what it is that is too hard for him. Because I think in that moment, you'll realize that nothing is too difficult for Jesus. See, when Jesus walked on that water and came to them in their moment of need, he did not stop the storm. Instead, he got into the boat. He did not take them out of their problems. Instead, he got into the boat with them in their problems. No matter what storm you're facing today, no matter what storm comes tomorrow, know this, the great I am is in the boat with you. Amen.